Part One of the Christmas Angel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jan McGillivray. The Christmas Angel by Abby Farwell Brown. Chapter One, The Play Box. At the sound of footsteps along the hall Miss Terry looked up from the letter which she was reading for the sixth time. "'Of course I would not see him,' she said, pursing her lips into a hard line. "'Certainly not.' A bump on the library door, as from an opposing knee, did duty for a knock. "'Bring the box in here, Nora,' said Miss Terry, holding open the door for her servant who was gasping under the weight of a packing-case. "'Set it down on the rug by the fireplace. I am going to look it over and burn up the rubbish this evening.' She glanced once more at the letter in her hand, then with a sniff tossed it upon the fire. "Yes, am said Nora, as she set down the box with a thump. She stooped once more to pick up something which had fallen out when the cover was jarred open. It was a pink papier-mâché angel, such as are often hung from the top of Christmas trees as a crowning symbol. Nora stood holding it between thumb and finger, staring amazedly. Who would think to find such a bit of frivolity in the house of Miss Terry? Her mistress looked up from the fire, where the bit of writing was writhing painfully, and caught the expression of Nora's face. "'What have you there?' she asked, frowning, as she took the object into her own hands. "'The Christmas angel!' she exclaimed under her breath. "'I had quite forgotten it.' Then, as if it burned her fingers, she thrust the little image back into the box and turned to Nora brusquely. "'There, that's all. You can go now, Nora,' she said. "'Yes, am answered the maid. She hesitated. "'If you please em. It's Christmas Eve.' "'Well, I believe so,' snapped Miss Terry, who seemed to be in a particularly bad humor this evening. "'What do you want?' Nora flushed, but she was hardened to her mistress's manner. "'Only to ask if I may go out for a little while to see the decorations and hear the singing.' "'Decorations? Singing? Fiddlestick!' retorted Miss Terry poker in hand. What decorations? What singing? Why, all the windows along the street are full of candles, answered Nora. Rows of candles in every house, to light the Christ child on his way when he comes through the city tonight. Fiddlestick! again snarled her mistress. And choir boys are going about the streets, they say, singing carols in front of the lighted houses continued Nora enthusiastically. It must sound so pretty. They had much better be at home in bed. I believe people are losing their minds. Please, em, may I go? asked Nora again. Nora had no puritanic traditions to her account. Moreover, she was young and warm and enthusiastic. Sometimes the spell of Miss Terry's somber house threatened her to the point of desperation. It was so this Christmas Eve, but she made her request with apparent calmness. 
"'Yes, go along,' assented her mistress ungraciously. "'Thank you, am said the servant demurely, but with a brightening of her blue eyes. And presently the area door banged behind her quick-retreating footsteps. "'Hm! Didn't take her long to get ready,' muttered Miss Terry, giving the fire a vicious poke. She was alone in the house on Christmas Eve, and not a man, woman, or child in the world cared. Well, it was what she wanted. It was of her own doing— if she had wished, she sat back in her chair, with thin, long hands lying along the arms of it, gazing into the fire. A bit of paper there was crumbling into ashes. Alone on Christmas Eve. Even Nora had some relation with the world outside. Was there not a stalwart officer waiting for her on the nearest corner? Even Nora could feel a simple, childish pleasure in candles and carols and merriment, and the old, old superstition. "'Stuff and nonsense!' mused Miss Terry scornfully. "'What is our Christmas, anyway? A time for shopkeepers to sell, and for foolish folks to kill themselves in buying. Christmas spirit? No. It is all humbug, all selfishness and worry.' an unwholesome season of unnatural activities. I am glad I am out of it. I am glad no one expects anything of me, nor I of anyone. I am quite independent, blessedly independent, of the whole foolish business. It is a good time to begin clearing up for the new year. I'm glad I thought of it. I've long threatened to get rid of the stuff that has been accumulating in that corner of the attic. Now I will begin." She tugged the packing-case an inch nearer the fire. It was like Miss Terry to insist upon that nearer inch. Then she raised the cover. It was a box full of children's battered toys, old-fashioned and quaint. The toys in vogue thirty, forty, fifty years earlier, when Miss Terry was a child. She gave a reminiscent sniff as she threw up the cover and saw on the underside of it a big label of pasteboard, unevenly lettered. Play-box of Tom Terry and Angelina Terry. Humph! she snorted. There was a great deal in that humph. It meant, yes, Tom's name had plenty of room, while poor little Angelina had to squeeze in as well as she could. How like Tom! This accounted for everything— even to his not being in his sister's house this very night. How unreasonable he had been! Miss Terry shrugged impatiently. Why think of Tom to-night? Years ago he had deliberately cut himself adrift from her interests. No need to think of him now. It was too late to appease her. But here were all these toys to be got rid of. The fire was hungry for them. Why not begin? Miss Terry stooped to poke over the contents of the box with lean, long fingers. In one corner thrust up a doll's arm, in another an animal's tail pointed heavenward. She caught glimpses of glitter and tinsel, wheels and fragments of unidentifiable toys. "'What rubbish!' she said. "'Yes, I'll burn them all. They are good for nothing else. I suppose some folks would try to give them away.' 
and bore a lot of people to death. They seem to think they are saving something that way. Nonsense. I know better. It is all foolishness, this craze for giving. Most things are better destroyed as soon as you are done with them. Why, nobody wants such truck as this. Now could any child ever have cared for so silly a thing? She pulled out a faded jumping-jack and regarded it scornfully. Idiotic! Such toys are demoralizing for children, weaken their minds. It is a shame to think how everyone seems bound to spoil children, especially at Christmas time. Well, no one can say that I have added to the shameful waste. Miss Terry tossed the poor jumping jack on the fire, and eyed his last contortions with grim satisfaction. But as she watched, a quaint idea came to her. She was famous for eccentric ideas. "'I will try an experiment,' she said. "'I will prove once for all my point about the Christmas spirit. "'I will drop some of these old toys out on the sidewalk and see what happens. "'It may be interesting.'" CHAPTER Two, JACK IN THE BOX Miss Terry rose and crossed two rooms to the front window, looking out upon the street. A flare of light almost blinded her eyes. Every window opposite her along the block, as far as she could see, was illuminated with a row of lighted candles across the sash. The soft, unusual glow threw into relief the pretty curtains and wreaths of green, and gave glimpses of cozy interiors and flitting, happy figures. "'What a waste of candles!' scolded Miss Terry. "'Folks are growing terribly extravagant.' The street was white with snow which had fallen a few hours earlier, piled in drifts along the curb of the little traveled terrace. But the sidewalks were neatly shoveled and swept clean, as became the eminently respectable part of the city where Miss Terry lived. A long flight of steps with iron railing at the side led down from the front door, upon which a silver plate had for generations in decorous flourishes announced the name of Terry. Miss Terry returned to the play-box and drew out between thumb and finger the topmost toy. It happened to be a wooden box, with a wire hasp for fastening the cover. Half unconsciously she pressed the spring, and a hideous jack-in-the-box sprang out to confront her with a squeak, a leering smile, and a red nose. Miss Terry eyed him with disfavor. "'I always did hate that thing,' she said. "'Tom was continually frightening me with it, I remember.' As if to be rid of unwelcome memories, she shut her mouth tight, even as she shut Jack back into his box, snapping the spring into place. This will do to begin with, she thought. She crossed to the window, which she opened quickly, and tossed out the box, so that it fell squarely in the middle of the sidewalk. Then, closing the window and turning down the lights in the room behind her, Miss Terry hid in the folds of the curtain and watched to see what would happen to Jack. The street was quiet. Few persons passed on either side. At last she spied two little ragamuffins approaching. They seemed to be Jewish lads of the newsboy class, 
and they eyed the display of candles appraisingly. The smaller boy first caught sight of the box in the middle of the sidewalk. "'Hello, what's this?' he grunted, making a dash upon it. "'Gee, what's up?' responded the other, who was instantly at his elbow. "'Gwan, let me look at it.' The smaller boy drew away and pressed the spring of the box eagerly. "'Ping!' Out popped the jack into his astonished face, whereupon he set up a guffaw. "'Give it here,' commanded the bigger boy. "'No, you let it alone. It's mine,' asserted the other, edging away along the curbstone. "'I saw it first. You can't have it.' "'Give it here. I saw it first myself. Hand it over or I'll smash you.' The bigger boy advanced threateningly. "'I won't,' the other whimpered, clasping the box tightly under his jacket. He started to run, but the bigger fellow was too quick for him. He pounced across the sidewalk, and soon the twain were struggling in the snowdrift, pummeling one another with might and main. "'I told you so,' commented Miss Terry from behind the curtain. "'Here's the first show of the beautiful Christmas spirit that is supposed to be abroad.' Look at the little beasts fighting over something that neither of them really wants. Just then Miss Terry spied a blue-coated figure leisurely approaching. At the same moment an instinct seemed to warn the struggling urchins. Cop! said a muffled voice from the pile of arms and legs, and in an instant two black shadows were flitting down the street. But not before the bigger boy had wrenched the box from the pocket of the little chap. "'So that is the end of experiment number one,' quoth Miss Terry, smiling grimly. "'It happened just about as I expected. "'They will be fighting again as soon as they are out of sight. "'They are Jews, but that doesn't make any difference about the Christmas spirit. "'Now let's see what becomes of the next experiment.'" Chapter 3 The Flanton Dog she returned to the play-box by the fire, and rummaged for a few minutes among the tangled toys. Then with something like a chuckle she drew out a soft, pale creature with four wobbly legs. "'The flanton dog,' she said. "'Well, I vow, I had forgotten all about him. It was Tom who coined the name for him because he was made of canton flannel.' She stood the thing up on the table as well as his weak legs would allow, and inspected him critically. He certainly was a forlorn specimen. One of the black beads which had served him for eyes was gone. His ears, which had originally stood up saucily on his head, now drooped in limp dejection. One of them was a mere shapeless rag hanging by a thread. He was dirty and discolored, and his tail was gone but still he smiled with his red thread mouth and seemed trying to make the best of things. "'What a nightmare!' said Miss Terry contemptuously. "'I know there isn't a child in the city who wants such a looking thing. Why, even the animal rescue folks would give the boys a free shot at that. This isn't going to bring out any Christmas spirit,' she sneered. "'I will try it and see.' 
Once more she lifted the window and tossed the dog to the sidewalk. He rolled upon his back and lay pathetically with crooked legs yearning upward, still smiling. Hardly had Miss Terry time to conceal herself behind the curtain, when she saw a figure approaching, airily waving a stick. "'No ragamuffin this time,' she said. "'Hello, it is that good-for-nothing young Cooper fellow from the next block. They say he is a millionaire. Well, he isn't even going to see the Flanton dog.' The young man came swinging along debonairly. He was whistling under his breath. He was a dapper figure in a long coat and a silk hat, under which the candles lighted a rather silly face. When he reached the spot in the sidewalk where the Flanton dog lay, he paused a moment, looking down. Then he poked at the object with his stick. On the other side of the street, a mother and her little boy were passing at the time. The child's eyes caught sight of the dog on the sidewalk, and he hung back, watching to see what the young man would do to it. But his mother drew him after her. Just then an automobile came panting through the snow. With a quick movement Cooper picked up the dog on the end of his stick and tossed it into the street, under the wheels of the machine. The baby across the street uttered a howl of anguish at the sight. Miss Terry herself was surprised to feel a pang shoot through her as the car passed over the queer old toy. She retreated from the window quickly. "'Well, that's the end of Flanton,' she said, with half a sigh. "'I knew that fellow was a brute. I might have expected something like that. But it looked so—so—' She hesitated for a word, and did not finish her sentence, but bit her lip and sniffed cynically. CHAPTER Four: THE NOAH'S ARK now, what comes next? Miss Terry rummaged in the box until her fingers met something odd-shaped, long and smooth-sided. With some difficulty she drew out the object, for it was of good size. Hmm, the old Noah's Ark, she said. I wonder if all the animals are in there. She lifted the cover and turned out into her lap the long-imprisoned animals and their round-bodied chief. Mrs. Noah and her sons had long since disappeared, but the ark-builder, hatless and one-armed, still presided over a menagerie of sorry beasts. Scarcely one could boast of being a quadruped. To few of them the years had spared a tale. From their close resemblance in their misery, it was not hard to believe in the kinship of all animal life. She took them up and examined them curiously one by one. Finally she selected a shapeless slate-colored block from the mass. This was the elephant, she mused. I remember when Tom stepped on him and smashed his trunk. I guess I'm going to be an expressman when I grow up, he said, looking sorry. Tom was always full of his jokes. Now I'll try this and see what happens to the ark on its last voyage. Just then there was a noise outside. An automobile honked past, and Miss Terry shuddered, recalling the pathetic end of the Flanton dog, which had given her quite a turn. "'I hate those horrid machines!' she exclaimed. 
They seem like juggernaut. I'd like to forbid their going through this street. She crowded the elephant with Noah and the rest of his charge back into the ark and closed the lid. I can't throw this out of the window, she reflected. They would spill. I must take it out on the sidewalk. Land, the fire's going out. That girl doesn't know how to build fires so they will keep. She laid the Noah's Ark on the table, and going to the closet, tugged out several big logs, which she arranged geometrically. About laying fires, as about most other things, Miss Terry had her own positive theories. Taking the bellows in hand, she blew furiously, and was presently rewarded with a brisk blaze. She smiled with satisfaction, and trotted upstairs to find her red-knit shawl. With this about her shoulders, she was prepared to brave the December frost. Down the steps she went, and deposited the ark discreetly at their foot, then returned to take up her position behind the curtains. There were a good many people passing, but they seemed too preoccupied to glance down at the sidewalk. They were nearly all hurrying in one direction. Some were running in the middle of the street. "'They are in a great hurry,' sniffed Miss Terry disdainfully. "'One would think they had something really important on hand. I suppose they are going to hear the singing. Fiddlestick!' A man hastened by under the window. A woman. Two children, a boy and a girl, running and gesticulating eagerly. None of them noticed the Noah's Ark lying at the foot of the steps. Miss Terry began to grow impatient. "'Are they all blind?' she fretted. "'What is the matter with them? I wish somebody would find the thing. I am tired of seeing it lying there.' She tapped the floor impatiently with her slipper. Just then a woman approached. She was dressed in the most uncompromising of mourning and she walked slowly, with bent head, never glancing at the lighted windows on either side. "'She will see it,' commented Miss Terry. And sure enough, she did. She stopped at the doorstep, drew her skirts aside, and bent over to look at the strange-shaped box at her feet. Finally she lifted it, but immediately she shivered and acted so strangely that Miss Terry thought she was about to break the toy in pieces on the steps or throw it into the street. Evidently she detested the sight of it. Just then up came a second woman with two small boys hanging at her skirts. They were ragged and sick-looking. There was something about the expression of even the tiny knot of hair at the back of the woman's head which told of anxious poverty. With envious curiosity, she hurried up to see what a luckier mortal had found, crowding to look over her shoulder. The woman in black drew haughtily away, and clutched the Noah's Ark with a gesture of proprietorship. "'Go away! This is my affair!' Miss Terry read her expression and sniffed. "'There is the Christmas spirit coming out again,' she said to herself. "'Look at her face!' The black-gowned woman prepared to move on with the toy under her arm. But the second woman caught hold of her skirt and began to speak earnestly. She pointed to the Noah's Ark, then to her two children. Her eyes were beseeching, 
the little boys crowded forward eagerly. But some wicked spirit seemed to have seized the finder of the ark. Angrily she shook off the hand of the other woman, and clutching the box yet more firmly under her arm, she hurried away. Once, twice, she turned and shook her head at the ragged woman who followed her. Then, with a savage gesture at the two children, she disappeared beyond Miss Terry's straining eyes. The poor woman and her boys followed forlornly at a distance. "'They really wanted it, that old Noah's Ark!' exclaimed Miss Terry in amazement. "'I can scarcely believe it. But why did that other creature keep the thing?' I see, only because she found they cared for it. Well, that is a happy spirit for Christmas time, I should say. Humph! I did not expect to find anything quite so mean as that. End of Part 1 Recording by Jan McGillivray